For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We can't hit, we can't uh, block, we can't throw. Other than that, we're great. Welcome back to Royals Weekly, off-season edition. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who once bit Rob Manfred during a pie-eating contest, my brother Mike. And damn it, I do it again. You're doing things like getting rid of good reporters like Ken Rosenthal. You deserve to be bit, sir. I should have bit him harder. Yeah, your tyrannical reign deserves yeah. a bite or two if you're going no to a pie-eating contest with Mike. That's just awful. If you haven't heard Rob Manfred, he's a real piece of shit. Uh, but other <laughs> than that, great guy. Uh, and so... Uh, <laughs> On this episode of Royals Weekly, we'll discuss our thoughts on the lockout, give our insight into whether the performance of a few key Royals is likely to rise or fall, and share our thoughts on downtown baseball in Kansas City. But first, why is it so goddamn cold all the time? Mike, your thoughts? Uh, I think it's so goddamn cold all the time because it's winter. And uh, I don't like it. I've got myself a part-time gig, as you know, delivering for Amazon. I delivered in some damn cold weather last weekend. And uh, yeah, it's not fun. It's no bueno. And my house makes all these weird noises when it gets cold. <laughs> so I think it's going to fall down or something. But yeah, I walk dogs part time. And that's like, you go outside and it's like, oh, my Lord, my yeah. nipples are ice. You know, like, yeah, it's just it's one of those things that and I, I put this out on Twitter and the, on the Royals Weekly account, follow us at Royals Weekly, that when it's super, super cold, I end up, I catch myself watching as much old baseball as possible, reading about baseball as much as possible, because I just feel warmer, maybe because I can see that it's warm in this video, or I can like, you know, it just, I associate baseball with warmth and it sort of baseball brings me some warmth in these extremely cold days. I do the exact same thing with golf. My wife, like there's like a three month stretch of the year when I watch a lot of golf on TV. And my wife is like, why are you watching golf? Because wherever they are, it's sunny and warm. And I like the idea that at some point, it's going to be sunny and warm here again. Let's hope. It was my intention to never talk about the lockout on this podcast. It's not Royal specific, and I can't imagine anything less informative than two non-labor lawyers trying to discuss the intricacies of labor negotiations. But nothing else is happening. And here we are. It's January 8th. The players are still locked out. Word is that there is virtually no negotiation happening, though I did read something that the owners are going to put forth a new proposal soon. I'm sure it will be very fair and just. Uh, (laughs) Just real quick, uh, from a fan's perspective, Mike, what are your thoughts on the lockout? How do you feel about it? Who do you think should win? (laughs) What sort of concessions? What do you think will be the major sticking points? And what concessions do you think people should make? I honestly don't know enough about why the lockout happened to begin with to say major points, but I will, I will say my overarching ideas when it comes to labor problems in professional sports, I will never side with billionaire owners over millionaire players. Okay. And it has nothing to do with, oh, these people have money and these people have money. One pe- one group is doing the work to make the money. And one group is just making the money. And I won't ever side with management over labor, generally speaking. Now, are there labor unions and things like that, that have become too large and too powerful yeah there are some and if there was one in sports it would be the major league baseball players union because they're the one that has the most power but i still don't i'm not going to side with owners in this in this argument but both sides the, the key here is both sides need to grow up and see the game for what it has become it they know it's slipping and falling behind the nfl is a dominant sport in the sports entertainment realm and you better pray and hope that some football league doesn't try and start moving in on the summer and the spring because they might take your market share and run with it. The game is needs to evolve and it doesn't help when you're locking your players out. It doesn't. And, and honestly, to me, I can't say both sides because if the players hadn't locked out the, or if the owners hadn't locked out the players, then I might be saying, okay, guys, both of you 
figure out what needs to be done so that you're not hurting the game even more. But this move by the owners to lock out the players makes absolutely no sense to me. If you're, if you're wondering like, well, what's their reasoning for doing it? Rob Manfred announced when they, when they did the lockout that it was done to spur negotiations so that like they would create some urgency and they would, but nobody believed that at the time it has proven completely false. It has not spurred negotiations at all. They haven't talked to each other in a month. And so it's not at all, it, it, that is a reasoning that makes absolutely no sense. The lockout was completely unnecessary. It's just a move by the owners to sort of strong arm the players to, try to and say get that the upper hand. We have, the upper hand. we have the power in this situation. And it is ridiculous and it's really stupid and petty and it doesn't do anything for any, for any of the so, supposed shared goals that they have, which is to make sure you don't miss any games and that sort of thing, to not hurt the game of baseball. That's all it really does is, again, hurt the game of baseball. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I, I haven't thought about it in this context of baseball is falling behind. It's, it's, it's now, I would say the third most popular sport in America. I think the NBA has overtaken it, I, especially among young people. I don't know any oh, young yeah. people who watch baseball. I don't know oh, any young people who watch baseball on that the other day, because I knew we were probably at some point going to talk about this. I asked all my students in one of my classes, my biggest class, I said, and these are all middle school age students, 14, 13 years old. I said, Hey, how many of you like baseball? And almost all their hands went up. And I was like, Oh, I was a little bit surprised, you know? And I'm like, okay, cool. And, and I was like, oh, keep your hand up if you like playing baseball. And they all kept their hand up. Right. And then I said, all right, keep your hand up. If you like watching baseball, almost all their hands went down. I'm like, Oh, so you guys like playing in your baseball leagues. You don't like watching the Royals and things like that. There were like three kids with their hands up. I'm like, okay, why don't you like this watching it? And so we had a little conversation about, Ah, it's just a little boring. Like, okay, well, th that's your problem, right? Kids yeah, think it, you're boring. If, if, if a huge percentage of the young people population play your sport, but don't watch your sport, you know, it's the entertainment product you're putting out. It has nothing to do with the sport itself. They like going out and playing it. They just don't like watching it. And why? Because you have not marketed it. Well, you do not package it. Well, you do not, you're not open to change to make it more palatable to young people and their entertainment proclivities. It's, it's, it's not a good thing. Uh, and baseball is just constantly seemingly shooting itself in the foot with stuff like this, right? Like this is an unnecessary distraction. This is even a hard distraction. Like how do we make our game quicker and faster? That's a tough problem to solve. You know, how do we make it more palatable to the 21st century attention span? That's a tough problem. This is a, this is a very avoidable problem. This is a, this is a, we're too greedy. And so we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot and harm the long-term viability of our, of our product. That's, that, that's, just the, I can't see deciding to make that. It's so short-sighted. It's so short-sighted to do something like create headlines that say lockout, create headlines that say these groups can't get along. And it's it just, it, it makes, and you lose an entire free agency period, which is one of those things that has helped boost leagues like the NBA, where you see constant headlines and stories and drama around what players yeah. are going where, whose teams are getting better. You could take advantage of that in Major League Baseball and you just choose not to. You're and actually the only, killing the all of it. The only real, you know, attention that you get during the offseason for Major League Baseball is the hot stove, right? Like the one thing that kind of worked years ago, Major League Baseball's TV network kind of created this narrative around the hot stove, right? Like, hey, who's going to be going here, the winter meetings, the negotiations, the behind the scenes kind of stuff. And then we're going to kill that. <laughs> we're not going to get any attention except for negative attention this offseason, baby. Yeah. And what, what a terrible time to do it too. It's like people are looking for entertainment all the time because we have to stay home and stuff like that. And here's where they're at. You know, they're just giving away this opportunity. Uh, when baseball is like the least popular sport in America, we'll be looking back at times like this and being like, oh, like here's why. But setting aside our own personal belief about whether or not this lockout should happen, who should win it, all those sorts of things, I do want to talk about what we think this lockout is about just a little bit. I'll throw out a little bit my, my thoughts on that. I think there are a series of issues they're all trying to get closer on. I think the one that is really going to be the sticking point is service time manipulation and service time, time to free agency. So right now, a lot of times uh, you'll see teams do things like keep players down a couple of weeks 
uh, at the start of a major league season and then promote them so that they can get an extra year of service time out of them. Players don't like that kind of manipulation. They don't like uh, players having to wait even longer to get to free agency because free agency is where they make all of their money. Okay. So as a, as a rookie in the first five or six years of your contract, you don't make that much money. When you hit free agency, when you're free agency eligible, you can start making a lot of money. And so they want the time to free agency shortened. They want to make sure that their players aren't being manipulated and teams aren't doing these little tiny things to ensure that they get more cheap labor out of the players. I think that's going to be the big sticking point. I think the players and the owners are both on the same page in terms of wanting more competitive balance, wanting to stop teams from tanking and things like that. I think small things like DH in both leagues, I think that's bound to happen. I think expanded playoffs are bound to happen. There are just some things that I, I, I think are definitely going to happen that really aren't huge sticking points between the two sides, but service time manipulation and time to free agency. I think those are the tough ones that they're going to have to hammer out. I pretty much agree with you. I think some of those things, the, the things you talk about is kind of foregone conclusions. The reason that they're foregone conclusions is because they're, they're kind of helpful to both sides. Both sides benefit at least in some way from a lot of those things. Um, it's the service time manipulation that's going to be really tough because then you're talking about money and players unions are not designed to give it up. They, they don't want to give up money. They're, they're only designed to help their members, which are the, the players. And so, yeah, I can see that being kind of the final thing that gets done. And I think when, I think when it gets done, I think the players are going to get something in that. Um, the other thing that I could see maybe getting thrown in there is the idea of the, the qualifying offer changing a little bit. Um, but that's about it. Yeah, I think owners are already of the mind that they're going to have to change service time rules because they they're just they know the players aren't going to move on that. They know that that's one thing that they won in the last negotiation that they knew wouldn't last forever, right? And so I think I think you're right. I think that's going to change to some degree. It's just the question of where is it going to end up? What's the rule going to be? And they're both pretty far apart on that, I think, right now. But I think ultimately, eventually, it'll all get done. The question we have to ask is, when will it get done? Will we miss any time? Will we miss any baseball? Mike, do you think any first off spring training games are in uh, are in question, are in danger of being missed? And then any regular season games in danger of being missed? I, I could certainly see spring training games being missed. I think they're they're more than willing to let a spring training get beat up for these types of things, but I don't think they end up missing regular season games because why? They cost owners money. And if you're costing owners money continuously and it drags into their well, – and here's the weird thing. Once it crosses into the major – like the regular season – it becomes easier to drag it through the regular season. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so like, I think if it does get into there, we could see it extend out even longer, but I don't think it ever gets there. It is interesting that once you've priced in the pain, it's sort of easier to go through it. Right. Exactly. Like, and so, you know, you miss a few regular season games and you're like, okay, I, I figured out how I can miss regular season games and, and still make money or still be okay. Be well, comfortable then, psychologically with losing yeah. that money. And then you dig in your heels and say, well, if I'm, if I'm giving this up, I better be getting something. In yeah. those and then I, I can't give in. I've already missed this many games. I exactly. have to make that worth it. You know, like, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're right. If, if we do end up missing some regular season games, it might be quite a few, uh, but let's hope not. Uh, I don't think they're going to miss any regular season games. They might shorten spring training by a week. I don't think it'll be more than that because they need pitchers to be ready. They, no team wants to, you know, put their pitchers at harm and things like that. But uh, we'll see on that front. Hopefully they all get together. The owners quit being unreasonable and insane. The players do what they got to do to sort of change the service time manipulation. And we can all move on with our lives. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and leave, read a snippet of your review on the next show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. To be successful in 2022, the Royals are going to need some players to step up. Playoff runs are built on career years from some players. Last year, the Royals saw breakout campaigns from Nicky Lopez and Salvador Perez. Perez, I would still consider a breakout because even though he'd been successful before that, he took it to a, a new level next year or last year. For our spotlight segment today, I'd like us to discuss where we think the performance of some key Royals might be headed in 2022 with a format we're calling risers, fallers, and floaters. Mike, 
Let's get started with the aforementioned Nikki Lopez. You smile at floaters like it's because you're <laughs> 12 years old and you're like floaters. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, Mike is a child. I uh, am. We're going to get started with Nikki Lopez. He had a fantastic 2021. He hit 300 as a batting average, 365 as an on-base, and 378 as a slugging with a defensive war, according to baseball reference, of 1.4. That's good. Where do you think he's headed in 2022? Is he rising? Is he falling? Or is he floating? First off, I refuse to say the word floater. All you right? just said it. It's gross. All right. <laughs> it's disgusting. And get your mind out of the toilet. All right. <laughs> Realistically for Nikki Lopez, I think it's probably falling, but I don't think it's falling all that far. To hit 300 in a year is extremely difficult to do. Even for a guy who uh, is sort of a placement kind of hitter like Nikki Lopez is. What I really want to see, though, is I will consider a, a successful year at the plate if he keeps that on-base percentage around where it was. So I don't see him hitting um, 300 next year. I don't see him probably having that type of year offensively, but we think the defense shouldn't drop off probably for him because he's good, been a good defender for his whole career. And I don't think Nikki Lopez is going to become a player, where, a, a flash in the pan either. I think he probably sticks up there. I just don't think he can live up to that level because very, very few guys can. So falling but not falling very far. Yeah. I, I, I think that there's a strong case for falling. I'm going to throw, I'm going to put as floating. I think he's going to float a little bit in terms of his overall value. I agree that I don't think the batting average will be 300 again. I think it might drop to the two eighties or something like that. I, I hope the on-base stays around where it, where it is. And I think it will, because I think he'll have a little bit more patience to the plate, take a few more walks. The thing that I think might rise a little bit is the slugging percentage. I think towards the end back half of last year, we started to see him get confident in a way that allowed him to take a few more large rips at pitches that were at premium pitches and premium counts. And so we started to see him hit with a little more authority on the baseball, hit it a little bit harder. And I think that's going to lead to a few more doubles, a few more triples for him, uh, just a couple more extra base hits, maybe even a home run here and there. Like it wouldn't surprise me if he plays all of next year, if he makes it to five home runs in the year. Now that's not a lot, obviously, but, <laughs> but it's something for a guy as, as, as sort of weak as I don't want to say weak. That makes him sound bad. He's way stronger than I'll ever be, but you know, a guy who doesn't hit the ball all that hard. And who so I think isn't a power hitter. He isn't uh, in terms of his overall value. I see him as having a pretty good chance of just sort of floating where he is for his overall value. Now that's, he was worth something like four war this year, I think. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's going to be really tough to replicate, but I think he can do it honestly, because he's going to be boosted by that excellent defense that he plays. And so that will always sort of give him a, a ceiling or a, a floor of like one and a half two war. And so if he can get there, you know, he's only got to be pretty good offensively and he's, he'll be fine. I think. Yeah. And that's um, why I think he's probably going to fall a little bit, but I'm okay with that because uh, uh, any Nikki Lopez at or around what he was last year is a very valuable piece. Yeah. Salvador Perez came through with, with an amazing year last year, both offensively and defensively, according to baseball reference anyway. And the question is, he's a little bit older than Nicky Lopez. Can he keep it going at a position where a lot of wear and tear on the body, a lot of, uh, a lot of innings caught behind the plate and he catches a lot. And so he, he hit 273 as a batting average last year, 316 for an on-base, 544 for a slugging, and he was worth one and a half defensive war, according to baseball reference. Mike, what are, where do you see him going? Um, I'm, I'm hoping for floating, uh, and, and I put this in parentheses, if healthy, you know, for a guy like Salvador Perez, who has had some injury concerns and plays a position like catcher, but I think you maximize his ability to stay in that range if you start splitting his days catching with MJ Melendez. If he's not catch, if he's catching um, around, you know, between 90 and 100 games instead of 130 games, um, then I think you really have a chance for him to have another season like he did last year. Yeah. And the thing I was highly encouraged by is towards the back end of last year, we saw him start taking a walk here and there and nothing imp hugely impressive, not six, seven, eight, nine walks in a week or anything, not Carlos Santana numbers, but we start, started to see him take a walk here and there. If he can do that, incorporate that into his game, I think and and stays healthy like you. I think floating is a real possibility. I think rising is even on the table at least because if he hits the way he did in the last two three months of last year, throughout the entirety of next year, that's an even another level on top of what he did last year. Because you forget that 
even though he was good for the first half, he wasn't incendiary hot like he was the last three months of the season. And so if he keeps that going, I am, I'm on the same page as you. I want him catching closer to hundred to 120 games rather than 140 games or anything like that. I'd like to see him closer to that hundred range. I'd like to see Melendez get quite a few, but if he can stay healthy, there's no reason he can't stay with that sort of peak performance that he's come to this last year. But really, it's more about pitching than hitting, I think, for the Royals. That's going to be the thing. Is their starting rotation going to sort of hold together, going to take a step forward so that they can remain competitive? And the biggest one I'm staring at, I think a lot of people are staring at, is Royals 2018 first-round pick, Brady Singer. Can he become what the Royals thought he would be? Uh, Last year, he pitched 128 and a third innings. He had a 4.91 ERA. He had a 1.55 whip. Yeesh, that is high. That's not good. <laughs> and he had a, but he did have a 4.04 fielding independent pitching, which is supposed to be an indicator of like, how good are you, you know, sans your defense? How good are you without taking defense into account? 4.04 is pretty good. It's got to be above league average. And so, Mike, where do you think that all these numbers and all that, all of what we saw last year point to Brady Singer doing in 2022? Well, you and I, you and I have talked pretty consistently about how, Brady Singer's success moving forward is going to be largely contingent on his ability to develop a third pitch. Okay. Whether it's the changeup or whatever, that's why I think rising is really the only option here, because I think if he just has the two pitches, like he's basically had his whole career, he can do that every time he can do 4.91 with a one five, five whip and a four Oh four fielding independent pitching with just the two pitches. He has the only way he can go is to bring in a third pitch and use it effectively. If he doesn't, he'll just be what he's always been. If he doesn't, he's floating. If he does something and, and develops and takes a step forward, now granted, he's got Cal Eldred still, so who knows if that's possible, but he, he's going to be able to rise if he brings in that third pitch. Yeah, the third pitch and a little bit more consistent command are sort of the two things that are keeping him from being that elite starter, not elite, not like I don't think anybody ever thought he would be Max Scherzer or anything like that, but that number two, solid number two starter, which is his ceiling, it's a third pitch and it's consistent command. That's that. Those are the two things that are keeping him there. I think he's going to rise as well. I think that fielding independent pitching indicates that he was a little bit unlucky last year, indicates that he should have a better chance. But we know that he is a guy who sometimes crumbles under pressure, who sometimes when things don't go his way, he starts to fold. And a more consistent command and a third pitch, I think, could help him out of that. I think if he knows he has an option that's like, my slider's not working. My fastball's not working all that well. Go to the changeup. I think that will sort of help him through those tough moments. But I definitely think rising is the option for him or is, is the right choice for him. I hope it's enough to sort of make him the mid-rotation starter that all of us expect him to be. Another guy who needs to sort of develop into that mid-rotation starter we all expected is Brad Keller. Had an atrocious year last year. I was a little surprised to see that he pitched more innings than Singer, actually. Uh, because it seemed he like Keller, so many early exits. Yeah. And it seemed like <laughs> Keller got shut down fairly early in the season, but Singer was on the injured list sort of multiple times. Yeah. Uh, Keller did end up throwing 133 and two thirds innings. He had a 5.39 ERA, a 1.66 whip and a 4.72 fielding independent pitching. So another guy whose fielding independent pitching was lower than his ERA indicates maybe a little bad luck for Brad Keller. Mike, where, where do you see him going in 2022? Uh, I see him rising because we have seen Brad Keller over multiple seasons do much better than this. So in this sense, you know, a lot of times when people think of regression, they think of somebody having a great year and going back down. Well, this is regression the other way. This is him having a really bad year and regressing to some examples that we've seen in the past, which are closer to what the numbers he could have. But here's going to be the kind of the issue. If he doesn't come out and do really well early on and he struggles early, he may not get to continue starting opportunities because there are a lot of guys, maybe some very unproven guys, but guys that they can use as starting pitchers. So you got to look out for Brad Keller. If he struggles early in the year, possibly getting yanked from that starting rotation. Yeah. Keller's a guy who I feel like because he did have that like amazing shortened 2020 where I don't even know if he's healthy for the whole thing, but he pitched really well during it. And people were sort of like, this could be it. This could be his ceiling. And it really wasn't. He was like, he was playing really beyond his ceiling in the short sample of the short season had us thinking, Oh yeah, he could do this. I think 
I think he's going to be rising next year. I think he's going to do better than he did last year, but not as much as people hope. He's not, he's not a number one. He never has been. And so we need to be comfortable with Brad Keller being uh, a league average innings eater, a guy who can keep us in ball games and sort of eat up a lot of innings, get a lot of ground balls, not have a hugely high strikeout rate. We need to be comfortable with that being Brad Keller. And I think he'll get closer back to that. I think, you know, a four and a half ERA or a between four and four and a half ERA is totally in his wheelhouse. Hopefully he can find his way back to that and we can get the Brad Keller who is a perfectly serviceable starter and can be a, you know, a rock in your, in your rotation if he can stay that level of consistent. Yeah. And I'm probably a little higher on Keller than you are. I think in his good years, he can be a sub four ERA guy, but I don't think he's ever going to be that number one or number two guy. He's the guy who you put him in as your fourth guy. And then in his best year, the, maybe the year that you go to the world series, cause he's having his best year. He's he, he pitches three, eight and you're like, wow, this, he had a hell of a year uh, and he pitches close to 200 innings, but yeah, he's definitely not going to be a front end guy. Um, but I don't think he's as bad as five, three, nine and a one, six, six whip. I just don't think he is. If he is, he's not going to be for long because he's, <laughs> he's not, they'll, uh, take his, yeah. they'll take him and put him in triple A or something. And the other thing is that they have no real investment in him. No, he wasn't right a now. high pick for us. He was no, a rule five, he's a rule five pick. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And the, they haven't given him a bunch of money or anything. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they can put him back in triple a, no problem. <laughs> not like uh, the guy we're talking about next. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Well, he's, he's still a modest investment. They can't really put him back in AAA. I don't see that happening, but uh, the guy we're talking about next also just sort of defines inconsistency. And that is Hunter Dozier. Uh, he had one of the worst seasons statistically you'll ever see from somebody who gets this much playing time. Like, <laughs> he, 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 usually when guys play this bad, they don't get this much playing time, but he, uh, uh, he got a Ryan O'Hearn knocks on the door. Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, yes. Hello. <laughs> Is someone speaking of me? Hello. Um, yeah. Uh, he got a lot of playing time uh, for a guy who hit 216 with a 285 on base and a 394 slugging. Now here's the kicker. If you were a great defender, you might say, okay, I see it. He was minus 2.4 in defensive war last year. He is not a good defender, and he had a terrible offensive season last year. Mike, where do you see Hunter Dozier going? Because you know he's going to play some. You remember that line from the old uh, Tampa Bay Bucks coach? I think his last name was McKay when they went 0-14. He said, we can't hit, we can't uh, block, we can't throw. Other than that, we're great. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about for Hunter Dozier. You can't hit, we can't field, we can't throw. Other than that, we're great. <laughs> oh, man, he's terrible. Uh, so I'm hoping that we see some of that hard hit ball rate turn into hits is what I'm hoping for. Um, I'm saying rising because there's nowhere else to go. And he's going to get to keep playing. The Royals are paying him money, money for the Royals, you know, money, Royals level money. And now the hard thing is there are ways to easily push him out, you know, because he doesn't have a lot of defensive positional value. And we've got a lot of guys coming up in spots that he could play that could take those spots. Now, right field, maybe not so much, but he, there's no way he can play third base. He can't do it anymore. Here's not the thing. Him. Not the he's guys not good have. defensively, but he's not good equally everywhere. And yeah, so that's true. He's not bad defensively not in a lot right. of different ways. So but the, but the difference being this, in the infield, the Royals have guys, dudes coming up that you want yeah. to play. Yeah. In right, we really don't have anybody coming up in right. So he's likely going to stay out there or at DH maybe. I don't know. Here's the but. thing. I think he's going to rotate. I think he is. I think he's going to rise as well in 2022, but I think it's going to be in a limited role. I think they're going to try and find places that he's going to be most successful, uh, hitting against lefties maybe, uh, you know, guys he has a good track record against, something like that. And then he's going to spell guys occasionally in right field, in third base, and left field at first base in DH. I think he's going to be a corner infield, corner outfield guy who moves around a lot. DH is some. And if he catches a heater, maybe he stays in the lineup for a while. If he looks like he's really hitting again, maybe he stays in the lineup for a while. But I think he is not going to be a guy they're like, pencil him in the starter as a starter every game from day one. I think so. they're sort of, they're done question. doing that. What do you think of like 350 at bats? I would say a little lower than that. I would put, I would say closer to, yeah, maybe like 300 plate appearances for him. Uh, All right. Aren't we paying him like 8 million bucks? <laughs> Which, I mean. No, no, not 8 million. Okay. Um, I thought, no. I thought he got three for 20. No, I think okay. he got five for five, 25 million. And okay. A lot no, of that's, that's buying out, a lot of that's buying out arbitration years. And so, 
you know, he was going to get that money anyway, because arbitration is a lot of times based more on service time than it is on your performance. And so, yeah, he's going to, he was going to make that, he's not making so much that you can't be like, you're a rotational player. You're a bench guy. Um, And so, yeah, 300 of the 350 plate appearances is fine. I think that's a better role for him right now. If he shows he can be more, if he's, if he's hitting back at 2019 level, uh, Hunter Dozier, great. Keep him in the lineup, let him play right field, do whatever. But you can't sort of count on him, even if he's going to rise, you can't count on him right now as like, oh, he's going to hit well enough to make up for the fact that he has no defensive value. The next guy is different in that he has quite a bit of defensive value. Whit Merrifield still has a bunch of defensive value at second. I think he's a pretty good right fielder, probably their best right fielder right now on the roster. And so, but the question is, how's his offense going to go? It's been in decline for the last two seasons. Last year, he hit 277 with a 317 on base and a 395 slugging. Another down year from him offensively, but he was worth 1.7 defensive war and played a great gold glove caliber second base. Mike, where do you think Whit Merrifield, who's now 33 years old, I want to say? 32 but he will be 33 soon he'll be 33 in late january where do you think he's going to go uh come 2022 so i've got him as floating and here's the thing he's in a weird situation because there's so much talent coming up in the rose organization in the infield but when you move him off of second base the bat doesn't play up quite as much because he plays premier defense at second base or at least he did last year if you can keep doing that, the, the Whitmer field from last year, 277, 317, those are pretty good numbers for a second baseman. But you take him and you move him to right field and you're only slugging 395. And as your defense doesn't play quite as well in right field, that's not great. So it's going to be a tricky situation for them to work out with Whitmerfield moving forward. Now, do they love the versatility still? Yeah, they do. You know, they love all that stuff and Whit will play wherever you ask him to and all that stuff. But I'm going to hope for floating here because I don't want to see another year of decline. If, if you see another year of decline, you got to think, all right, this is age related and he's, it's going to be tough for him to ever get back to the Whitmer field that was our best player for some really bad teams. Here's a hot take. I think Whitmer field is going to rise. Why? I do think he's in an age decline, but age declines aren't completely linear. You don't always see guys just go straight downhill. And so you'll see them go down. They'll have one year that makes them look like they were, you know, back in their prime and they're down again. I think that's the exception to that rule is Prince Fielder. Also (laughs) Billy Butler is also an exception to that rule. Um, Yeah. But you notice those guys have a particular body type that Mary Field does not have. And so what Mary Field's a good athlete. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, What Mary Field's still a good athlete. He's, you know, I don't like that they play him so much. I think that that consecutive game streak is actually hurting him because they, continue to play him and like as, as stubbornly to be like, you have to keep this streak. Going. No, just give him some days off and he'll probably hit better. And so, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of giving him a few days off this year, but I think he'll have a slightly better season offensively, especially an on base percentage. I think you'll see that go up a little bit, uh, maybe he's slugging a little bit too. Uh, and then if they continue to play, the question is he's at the whim of the Royals. If he plays every day at second, he'll have another great year defensively, I think, but I don't know that they'll do that all the time. I think they're going to need him to move around a little bit more. And so we'll see on that front. But I think ultimately, when we look at the season that he has in 2022, we're going to say, oh, he took a step back towards the Whitmerfield we sort of remember. And then we'll see where he goes from there. Typically, guys who are 34, 35 don't have career years. But I think he can take a step back towards the the, um, peak Whitmerfield that we saw previously. A sort of very divisive Royals player is, is next on our list of, of ones to talk about. That is Andrew Benintendi. You'd be surprised. I was surprised. I'm always surprised when I look at the numbers that I see from him last year, because there are stretches. I remember where he was not very good. And then it's harder to remember the hot streaks that he had, especially the one he had right at the end of the year where he was super boiling lava hot and raised a bunch of his numbers uh, to finish the year. So he hit 276 with a 324 on base and a 442 slugging, that's pretty decent. We, we sort of pegged his batting average at least at right around 265. We put that as, as his over under to start the year. He beat that. Um, his on base is not as maybe as high as we'd like slugging right around where you think it'd be. He did have 0.3 defensive war. Or he was worth 0.3 defensive war. 
That's a gold glove left fielder right there. Which is good enough for a gold glove left fielder, I guess, in in, in today's uh, Major League Baseball. Uh, All you got to have is a .3 defensive war. Um, And a winning smile. And a winning smile. Be a real glue guy. Um, And so, so yeah, Mike, where do you see Benintendi going in uh, 2022? Falling, obviously. Falling. I'm not that high on Andrew Benintendi. I wasn't when we signed him. I was hoping that he could get back. And I think he has, I think he's ditched the whole power thing and trying to be the hitter that he was early on in Boston. But after watching that for a full season, I just don't know that he's going to have that consistency to, to hit as well as he did last year. I think he probably uh, goes back down to that 265 or maybe even like a 250 batting average. Um, I do, I, you know, when he's going well, he's taking a lot of walks. Um, and I think he will be able to keep that on base at above 300, but I just don't see getting much from him. I don't like that. The Royals kept him honestly. Um, and defensively, the fact that he won a gold glove is obviously a travesty. It, it sullies the whole devalues every gold glove. Anybody else ever won. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Please somebody help me. Well, I'd like Lorenzo Kane had trouble winning these things and he was the best. And we've got freaking. Andrew Benintendi, one year in Kansas City, and he wins a fucking gold glove. Are you kidding me? Like, whoever voted on that did not watch Royals games. He has the weakest arm I've ever seen. No, can't do it. So, yeah. Here's another hot He's take. falling. I, I think he's going to rise in 2022. I think yeah. the way Benintendi looks like a dude who sort of, who actually builds on progress that he's made. He looks like, like having watched him last year, we know he was not right at the beginning of the year. We know that he still hadn't found what he was looking for. And then he was injured a few times throughout the year. And so you think, I think to myself, like, what if he's not injured and what if he's like ready to go right from the beginning, which he should be because he ended the year so hot. He, I think he's found it again. I think he's found the type of hitter he wants to be again. And he'll build on these numbers, be a little more patient, a little less anxious at the plate, build that. I think the batting average will be right around the same. I think the on base will be higher. And I think the slugging might be a little higher too. The defense is what it is. I don't think it's going to get any better. It's not getting any better. No, he's he's stepped out. He's he's 29 years old. At terrible on defense. He's 28, Um, 29 years old. He's not getting any better defensively, but I think offensively he will take a slight step forward next year. Can you say again, I, I think he still hasn't found what he's looking for? Bono, can you I, say that? I, and he still <laughs> what he's looking for. Which is, an, Bono. which is an arm that can throw it from left field to third base. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's mean. That's not nice. Show him some niceness. Uh, we love you, Andrew Benintendi. If you want to come on the show, no, we don't talk to players or coaches on this show. That's a rule. That's a steadfast rule on this show. We're going to talk about your outfield mate, though. (laughs) One, uh, we're talking about the guy standing directly to your left next, and that's Michael A. Taylor. Uh, He signed a new contract with the Royals last year, a two-year contract worth I don't know something like fourteen million. No, no, nine million. It was only seven. No, it was nine. I think he's four and a half million a year for the next two years, and so it looks like he's going to have the first shot to start in center field. Mike and I were both vocal that we did not love this contract. I like the contract. I just don't want him starting in center field. Uh, but where he hit 244 last year with a 297 on base and a 356 slugging. Believe it or not, that's actually like the best offensive season he's ever had for a full year. Um, he was worth 2.3 war defensively. So defensive war, which is an amazing year. He won the gold glove in center, right? I think he won it. I think so. I can't remember. If he didn't, remember. he deserved to. Like I said, th- those awards don't mean anything anymore. Yeah, they don't mean That's why I don't pay attention Nothing. to them. He was really great defensively. The question is, what's he going to look like offensively and defensively next year in 2022? I I actually do buy into a little bit some of the improvement that he made with his swing. And you and I early in the season said, okay, you can certainly see a difference in the swing. So I think it's going to be a little bit more consistent. That's why I'm saying he's going to float here. I think this is the offensive player that he is. I think the defense stays there, obviously, because I don't think he's gotten slower or anything like that. But I think he can hit around that. 240 to 250 range. Uh, he will never be a high on base guy because he just doesn't take enough pitches for that. But if he gets anywhere around 300, I feel like you're doing that. If his defense ever falls off, he's worthless. But yeah, I think he can float. I think he can be that guy again. That's a good argument. I'm, I'm sort of waffling now. I put falling down, falling in our rundown because 
anytime you see a guy hit a peak year offensively in his late twenties, early thirties, you're like, okay, well, he's probably going to come down, right? Like that's just, I don't think he's not an offensive force. He never has been. He had his best offensive year last year, which usually means, oh, okay, that's it. Not going to happen again. But I, I do buy into the swing changes. I do think he looked better at the plate. Uh, he had at the beginning of the year, he looked good. He had another, a stretch of difficulty. It looked like he adjusted to, to pitchers trying to throw him hard inside, and he looked better. We'll see. I don't think it's uh, – he's definitely not going to get better offensively. I think this is his ceiling. This is who he is. I'm not 100% sure that he'll look quite as good defensively, not because he's slowing down or anything, just because he had a lot of good fortune when mm-hmm. it came to defense, making defensive plays last year. He hit a lot of guys at home plate. Uh, well, that's tough to do repeatedly over and over again. We'll see if he sort of has the same year defensively. I just think have this feeling like there's a decent chance he's not very good offensively. Uh, and I think that's going to sort of drag his value down. I think overall, he's just not going to be as valuable as he was last year because that's the most valuable he's ever been. And usually that doesn't sustain. You may have missed it, but in mid-September, Royals owner John Sherman made an announcement that he was exploring the potential to resurrect the downtown baseball movement here in Kansas City. He's considering building a new stadium square in the heart of KC, and this has, of course, sparked great passions on both sides of the conversation. So I'd like to quickly touch on our thoughts on downtown baseball, where we see it might, how it might go in Kansas City, the potential hurdles to making it really work well. Uh, and we'll start with Mike. Mike, how do you feel about the prospect of a downtown baseball stadium and downtown baseball in Kansas City? Well, first off, when this was uh, introduced again, like many, many years ago, when you and I, I think maybe we had first moved down to Kansas city for college. They were talking about this again. It was being tossed back and forth. I was all for it. And and I still would love to see a downtown baseball stadium because I love downtown baseball stadiums, but I will, I will admit that downtown Kansas city right now is not well equipped for a baseball stadium. The infrastructure, the public transportation down into downtown is not very good. The hotel situation is not very good down there. There's plenty of entertainment stuff to do down there, which is great. But I think if you could improve those things, a downtown baseball stadium would be great. I would love that idea. Now, here's the one thing I don't want. I don't want taxpayers to have to pay for it Mm -hmm. because I hate that idea always. It's ridiculous that we should have to fund those things. They're the ones making all the money from it. But I, I would love to see downtown baseball in Kansas City. I do understand why people are like, oh, but then you take away the whole complex out there with Arrowhead and all that stuff. Let's be honest, people. That never became what anybody wanted it to be. Those stadiums have been out there for how long? And there is nothing out there. Okay. And I live, I kind of live out there. So I understand it, but Arrowhead is going to be fine on its own out there. There's that, that place is a sanctuary every Sunday. So I'm not worried about Arrowhead being out there by itself. And I'm not worried about a downtown baseball stadium being there by itself. It creates a lot of different opportunities for downtown Think about the concert events and things that could go on in there. If it's a downtown stadium, it could really be a boost to downtown. And I like downtown baseball. Yeah, that's the thing. I love downtown baseball stadiums and the culture that sort of grows out of that. Mm-hmm. But I think that you're right. They have to do it right. And that, that means jumping a lot of hurdles. The, pub, the transportation one's the biggest one to me. And, but that's also an opportunity, right? Kansas City could use more downtown transportation infrastructure more public transportation infrastructure in general but think about without what, it think about what they have coming from the places outside of downtown there's nothing nothing there's so nothing. very little on public transportation from yeah even that, like the northland and even any of those we, places we could use it with or without a downtown stadium we need that public transportation and i think the downtown stadium might be the thing that creates it happening like build that public transportation infrastructure in kansas city and use downtown baseball to justify it i think that's that would be a great thing but they have to jump that hurdle because without it it's going to be just it's not going to be a thing that a lot of people really want to do it's going to mean that people in lee summit and parkville and liberty and, and and out on the edges of kansas city don't want to come into town to go to a baseball game because X, now y, I got to park. You know, like now I got to park. I, I got to drive to the traffic. That. I got to do all this stuff. Yeah. You have to do it right. And so I, the, another thing that I sort of worry about that I, I don't want the downtown baseball. So the, the place that they proposed it, I think in the past is what's called a place called the East village. And it's right next to power and light. What I don't want is for the downtown baseball culture to be super corporate 
super like like power and light is which is like very sort of fake i want it to sort of be like wrigleyville i want i want it to be like i want the local sort of businesses to stay in place i want it to be built up around small businesses and local not like chain places and stuff like that i want it to be uh, the culture of kansas city and not some sort of cookie cutter culture that's been implanted around this downtown baseball stadium, if that makes sense. And so I hope that if they're going to do it, they have a plan for not like pushing out anything that's there already for not like for, for the public transportation and things like that, which I'm sure they have plans for these things. I just, I I would love to see it. I just want to make sure that they do it right. We'll end this week's episode. Like we end every episode with our just a bit outside segment where we talk about something that interests us outside the world of baseball, Mike. What are you thinking about outside the world of baseball this week? Here recently, I've just been thinking about gambling, which I love. Most specifically sports gambling, because you and I have been gambling on a lot of football games recently. I love it. I want the state of Missouri to legalize sports gambling to help build revenue in our state that is now spending so little on education that we don't particularly care if kids can read. Um, Nope. Don't want them to read. Don't even want them to be able to do it. If you can read, you can think. (laughs) And so... I just the, the joy of gambling on a game that, for example, last night, right? Last night, watching the first part of the Cowboys and Eagles game, which I wouldn't always watch, especially since it didn't really matter to either team, um, but got a live line, put some money on it. I watched what was not really a great football game, but I was still entertained. And that's what gambling can do. Now, are there downsides to gambling? No, there's never been a downside to gambling <laughs> ever. Okay. No, I'm, if, do people have problems with gambling? Yeah. And I'm not supporting somebody, you know, putting their rent money down, but um, you and I really enjoy doing it. It really makes me sad because we really only gamble on, on uh, football. So football season is going to come to an end soon and I'll have to go a long stretch without uh, gambling for a while. But uh, boy, it's really fun, especially when it's cold as hell, like it is right now to just sit there and be able to watch a game and, not even really particularly care. Some my wife always gets on me. Who are you rooting for? Uh, both offenses. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm not rooting for any team. We just got to score a lot of points. It's great. So many different angles, and so many states are now legalizing it. I hope Missouri and Kansas. I hope both are on on board with that very soon. Yeah, love it. Great way to get interested in things that you wouldn't normally be interested in. I'm sure Mike, who is a huge DGen, will put some money on some like winter olympics or yeah well i you texted know, you like, this uh, morning at 9 30 i was like i got a three-team teaser we are in this thing let's do it <laughs> yeah this is this is 188 bets off people One eight eight bets. most off. depressing thing you've ever put a bet on oh good question that's a tough one i don't ever remember them that's the thing uh i have put them on you know fcs games uh i'm not like so dgen i'll put them on little league games i've heard yeah. i've heard of somebody doing that <laughs> not doing that you and i uh, actually won some money on the division two national championship game a few years oh back. yeah did that when the bearcat way it was a lot sure. of years back now sure. when the bearcats sure. played in it i won't i typically won't put money on sports i don't know enough about and so uh, no obscure sports for me i gotta know the sport a little bit but i mean honestly putting money on baseball is a is a fool's a drag. for me i can't do it like it's, i can't bet on baseball not, like um, if I'm doing baseball, it's got, it can't be like on game winners. It's got to be on some sort of prop bet. Yeah. Um, but here's the, here's the, when the pandemic first started, I was betting golf pretty regularly. Oh, <laughs> listen, and that is this hard. Guy. No like, kidding. It's not easy to do. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to talk about something else that's not illegal in the state and uh, you know, potentially depressing. I'm going to talk about land. Uh, and so I, I'm reading a, or listening to an audiobook right now about land. It's like the history of land, kind of. Um, and it talks about the ways in which people have sort of utilized land and obtained land. And it questions whether or not we can actually own land and things like that. Uh, it's a really great book. It's from the same guy who wrote The Professor and the Madman, which is about the history of the Oxford English Dictionary. Um, it's a really good book. Oh my and God, that sounds like the most boring book I've ever heard. It's life. not. It's not. The it's, history of the dictionary? Well, here's the thing. What a history uh, teacher. The first Oxford English Dictionary, it turns out, was written in like a large chunk of it was contributed to by a guy who was in an insane asylum while he was writing it. And so it sort of talks about the relationship he had with this professor who was uh, orchestrating the project and all this stuff. Uh, Anyway, it doesn't matter. The book about land is really interesting, but it's gotten me thinking about like, oh, you know, what is the value of owning a piece of land? It's a real American cultural thing that we think, oh, owning land is good right? In other countries, it's thought of differently sometimes. They, 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 they like the idea of owning land, but 
people rent more and things like that there. Whereas we're all about like home ownership and owning this plot of land that we have. Um, and so I'm just thinking a little bit about, you know, do I want to own land someday? Do I want to sort of, I've owned land twice in my life uh, and then sold it. And so we'll see if I ever get back in the landowner game again, but let's just always think about like, what does it mean that you are on the land that you potentially own the land who might've owned it before you, who might have rights to it? Are you going to let other people on it? That sort of thing. I, I always feel like when people re- reach like a certain age, roughly our age, sometimes a little earlier, they have this like overwhelming desire to own so much land. And I'm always, cause I, I mean, I even feel this, like I, I felt like, man, I would love to live like on a whole bunch of land. But then I start thinking about, wait, I'm just gonna be paying for all that land and not really utilizing it for anything. And so our good friend, Matt, Matt and I had a discussion about this a while back. Cause he's like, oh, I just love to live out in the country with a bunch of land. I'm like, you got to like mow it. You got to pay taxes on it. You going to farm it. No. What the hell do you need it for then? <laughs> there's, there's no, I think there's an element of, cultural I, want, security. I still want it. Like, I it still feels want to do that. <laughs> secure to have something like that. Like it makes you feel like, okay, this is mine. No one can take it from me. You know, no matter what happens, I will have this, you know, when, when the, you know, water wars start, I have this at least, you know? And so <laughs> when crypto all collapses and we're all, you know, <laughs> running for bitcoin or whatever yeah we're all trying Uh, to bite our swallow eat our one dollar bills for sustenance (laughs) yeah then you know at least i have this land you know um and it can sustain me you know i think there's an element of that to it that makes people feel secure but you know if if you do i think you'll be okay even if you don't have if you don't have a bit of it but um yeah, we'll see if, if, if I end up diving back into the land ownership game, but it's a really interesting book. It's just called Land, if you get a chance to listen to or read it. It's narrated by the guy who wrote it, and he's got this awesome British voice that's just very, like, very British. It is sounds it, is very it as British. exciting? Are there as many explosions as the book about the history of the dictionary? Uh, <laughs> just as many ex- actually how many, more, how many people jump out of planes with no parachutes that's more explosions uh there are a lot of robbing of banks wearing president masks oh all uh, right oh no wait no wait sorry i'm just describing uh point break sorry point break. that's, that's, that's point break. I, I get the two confused <laughs> i get the two confused uh, um, but anyway that's all we have for this episode of royals weekly you've heard us for long enough yeah our, our um, games our three team teasers starting so let's get yeah, this we gotta go up. watch these games um <laughs> We gotta go protect our investment, uh, and so uh, we'll be back uh, hopefully soon with an episode of Royals Weekly. Hopefully, with news that the lockout has ended, we'll see. Uh, and hopefully, the Royals make some moves once that happens. But until then, be good to each other and go Royals. <laughs>